Back in the 1970s, uh, my grandmother and grandfather had a Thunderbird, a Ford Thunderbird that they just loved. And it was really one of the, sort of their most favorite cars. And actually later on, uh, when I was around, my grandfather told me that that was like his favorite car that he ever owned. Well, in the 1970s, uh, my grandmother was driving it to work one day and she was driving it by sort of this interesting intersection with the interstate that was right next door, or right next to them. And uh, the, the entrance ramp coming on or coming off of the freeway into town uh, was a, sort of a one-way street that just became a street in, through the town. And so as she's coming up to a stoplight where this interstate is going to intersect and come into the town, uh, the light was green for her. And so she went through the intersection, but a semi-truck who was coming off of the interstate did not stop even though he had a red light and plowed into that car, that Ford Thunderbird that my grandfather loved. And my grandmother was driving it and um, obviously a semi-truck and car are never good and so there was quite a bit of damage. And luckily she was really close to where she worked and so some of the employees saw what happened, called my grandfather um, and he came over and, and checked on her obviously and immediately just came. Uh, but in that moment my grandmother told me later that she was sort of wrestling with, she didn't know how, how my grandfather was going to respond because that was his like favorite car. That was their, both of their favorite car and it was obviously totaled in the situation. That my grandmother had this sort of fear that she was more concerned with how my grandfather would react than she was in sort of taking care of her own injuries, very serious injuries in fact, from the accident that happened. She was more concerned with how my grandfather would respond than taking care of her injuries. She was sort of staying hurt at the expense, or uh, not worrying about my grandfather's reaction rather, at the expense of her own injuries. And sometimes I think with the topic that we're talking about today with anxiety, we sort of think that we can't talk to God about it. We just sort of need to stay in our pain and not you know, sort of pray our way out of it or, or Bible verse our way out of it or just sort of have more faith to get out of the anxiety that we're feeling. When the reality is that God is actually very concerned with our burdens, all of our burdens, and specifically with this burden of anxiety or any sort of emotional, mental health issues that we're dealing with. And so my hope for our time together today, while we're online together, my hope is that if you have a burden that sort of just sits on your soul, that is a burden that just weighs on you, that you would have enough confidence to take it to God. That if you have any sort of burden that sits on your soul, that you would know that you can bring it to God, that he actually cares about that. That any burden that's sitting on your soul can be taken to God, any burden, and specifically with the burden that we're gonna talk about today of anxiety or depression. And while I can't solve whatever it is that you're going through, and this message is gonna be just sort of scratching the surface, I do hope that I can sort of draw your confidence back to God who cares about these things and who cares about you and what you're going through. That he is a trustworthy, loving, and helpful God. And specifically the burden again that we're gonna to address today is anxiety, depression, or sort of any mental health issues that we might have. Uh, and unfortunately, in Christian environments like this, uh, like we're gathered online together, some of us maybe have had some baggage from that because in those Christian environments, they sort of use the anxiety, the depression, any sort of mental health issue as, as sort of a bat to beat against us. They, they would say, well, you just don't have enough faith or you haven't prayed enough or you're not trusting God enough to get through, through that. That if you're dealing with anxiety, depression, or the heaviness of emotion, that maybe you aren't mature enough spiritually or you're not developed enough in your faith and maybe even in some of our minds we just think that well God doesn't really actually uh, he's not actually with us and he doesn't actually care about what we're going through 
So again, hopefully by our time together today, by the end of our time together today, I can sort of help point you back towards or push you back to the idea that caring for our souls means that we can bring our anxiety to God, that you can have confidence in taking it to God. And so in this series, we've been talking about this summer of caring for our souls. We've been taking some time to sort of set aside this time separately to, to not be focused on other things, but just sort of looking at our own souls. Because if we're not healthy ourselves, we really can't help other people as well. And the, the goal and the long-term vision is that we would be healthy enough that we can help other people. But sometimes we need to pause and sort of reflect on our own souls and the health of our own souls. And we're doing this series now because I think really there's no way that these last few years and the environment that we've been in, there's no way that these last few years have not affected our souls. Our souls are sort of the center, the, the core of who we are as people, which means that caring for our souls would be incredibly important if we want to be healthy people. Uh, not only that, but our souls also include our minds and our bodies. So caring for those are incredibly important to being healthy people as well. And whether it's been the circumstances of the past few years for you, or maybe it's been something completely different, not related to the pandemic at all, uh, many of us, when we would at answer the question, how is our soul, we would sort of answer with some exhaustion, some frustration, some, some grief, some weariness over these last few years and situations. And last week we started a discussion about sort of a different epidemic, not named COVID, but a different epidemic that is now called loneliness. And we've been seeing that across all the spectrums of life, that basically uh, we sort of naturally drift away from each other. We naturally drift toward loneliness and isolation, some of us more than others, but we, I think we all sort of have that natural drift away from each other. And for some of us, we drift towards loneliness and isolation. Then we drift toward loneliness because of our actions. And sometimes it's because of our inaction. Sometimes it's because of our screen habits and shame and hurt. Uh, a report we cited last week from Harvard says this. Uh, the Harvard report suggests that 36% of all Americans, including 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children, feel serious loneliness. So this is a big deal. This is important. And thankfully, God wants to lead us in a different direction. And so we've said that soul care moves us toward community. And that's where sort of soul care is different than self-care, which is a very big topic right now as well. That self-care is really about sort of helping yourself to feel better. Soul care is about helping yourself in some sense, but it moves you towards community. It moves you towards health rather than sort of just turning you, yourself into yourself. And as I said, though, and just, it just previously, screen habits are also a part of this for loneliness. But as we're going to see, our, our use of technology is a huge part of some of the things that we're experiencing and the emotions that we're feeling in this day and age. And uh, sometimes our screen use and our technology is part of the reason that we drift away from each other and we drift toward loneliness and isolation. In a sense, we're sort of hurting ourselves with our own use of technology. And the illustration that we used last week was from the Roman Empire. And it's, we're going to sort of use this as a setup for our discussion today as well, that the Roman Empire had this great innovation of aqueducts, of an aqueduct system of bringing water and moving water to where the people needed it and where the people were. And yet within that amazing system, that innovation of technology of aqueducts, there was a big problem that they were using lead pipes in some instances to bring the water, to carry the water. And so in the same way that technology was helping them in this amazing, magnificent way, it was also poisoning some of the people. And that's the same thing with our phones and with technology and the way that we use technology. 
that it's an amazing way to connect with other people and to help us in so many ways make our lives more efficient. But if we're not careful, our use of technology is also sort of poisoning us in many ways as well. Now, this is not about bashing technology. That's not us because obviously we're using technology right now. We're doing live streaming and we use the church online uh, uh, program. We use the Bible app. We use lots of different forms of technology. The point is that it's not technology that's the problem. It's our use of technology that can be a problem at times. And that if we're not intentional about our decisions around technology and our use of technology, our use of technology can lead us to drift away from health and towards some unhealthy habits and behaviors and some thinking patterns and towards, as we're going to talk about today, toward anxiety. So if you're dealing with anxiety or depression or many mental, any, any mental health issues, I want to sort of remind you of a couple things that they're probably not new things, but I do want to remind you about a few things. And then we're going to look at a scripture and we'll wrap up our time. Um, I want to remind you of a few things. Number one, you are not alone. That if you bear the weight of anxiety or depression or, or any mental health issue, you are not alone. That 40 million Americans experience anxiety or depression. And one out of five people, or about 52 million people in America, experience mental health issues in just 2020 alone. And the reality is, again, as I said, most of us are going to experience some level of anxiety at some point in our life. And so this is really important to know that you are not alone if you experience anxiety. And one of the most difficult things about anxiety and depression and really sort of any mental health issue is that the, it's sort of on the inside of us, right? It's not a wound that we can see on the outside. When we have wounds on the outside of our bodies, we can see that and we can address it. Other people can see our wounds and can help us with that. But these issues of anxiety and depression, while they might manifest themselves outside of us, it's largely a sort of an internal thing that nobody else can see at times. And so that can make it a little bit tricky as well. And unfortunately, on top of that, in many ways, our culture, we've sort of decided that overwhelming anxiety is sort of a part of our identity now at this point. I, I think we've all sort of said that at some level that we're just comfortable. We, we have a tolerance for a certain level of anxiety that previous generations would have been like, you're kind of out of your mind. That doesn't make any sense to have that level of anxiety in your life. And yet at the same time, while we sort of acknowledged and sort of uh, accepted that and decided that anxiety is a part of our identity, we also sort of try to avoid talking about it and dealing with it and facing it and addressing it. We tend to sort of stuff it and bury it and push it away. And, and that's challenging and potentially very unhealthy uh, for any person, including those who are followers of Jesus. So number one, you're not alone. Number two, you're not unspiritual if you experience anxiety or depression or any mental health issue. Uh, we sort of have the propensity to think about Jesus as hopeful, which he is, and he brings hope to us. Um, but hopeful doesn't always mean upbeat and cheery and excited about life. Sometimes hopeful just is sort of getting through the difficult things that we go through. And then sometimes when Jesus followers sort of feel down or feel anxious or depressed, we might have that temptation in our mind to think that we're just sort of being unspiritual or unfaithful or, or just sort of spiritually immature. And that, unfortunately, too, can also lead to isolation. So I want to take you sort of back to a scripture, a guy named Job that many of us have heard about, uh, who was sort of described at the beginning of the book as a great example of spirituality of his time. 
And, and if we look back at Job and t sort of jump back into that story, and if you don't know the story, that's okay. Basically, Job experienced all kinds of suffering and, and trials and tribulations over and over and over in his life. And, and the reason that many people don't read that book, and many, maybe the reason why you haven't read the book, maybe you started, is because the bulk of that book is Job processing over and over and over and over again. There are really dozens of chapters of it. He's processing his own heartache, right? And, and who really wants to read about that too much? If you've already got your own heartache, you might be like, I don't need any more. And some of us, maybe if we're going through heartache, we say, well, yeah, I need to see how other people are handling it. But Job was, was notified, or sort of acknowledged, rather, as being spiritually mature at the beginning of the book, and yet he goes through all of this heartache over and over again, and really experiences quite a bit of mental anguish in his life. Uh, then you can look at the, the guy named Jesus, you know, the famous guy, Jesus, the guy that we're sort of all focused on. In Matthew chapter 26, the night that he was betrayed, he says this, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Now, we don't know exactly what that emotion is other than it, he does label grief here, but, you know, there could be some anxiety built into that. There could be some depression in that. There could be a lot of different things into that. And this is sort of the, the, an obvious example of the depth of emotion that even Jesus had, and he was obviously not unspiritual or spiritually mature. He was very mature spiritually. He would go on to then do some of the most sacrificial acts of anybody in this world. That Jesus was carrying this depth of emotion and heartache, and he expressed it, and he, and he acknowledged it. And unfortunately, many Christians and church leaders have sort of leaned into the idea that if you have anxiety or if you have depression, then you're just not spiritual. That if you feel anxiety, depression, mental health issues, don't let those lies control you. Remember that you are not alone and you are not unspiritual. And then number three, the thing I want to remind you of is that you live in a culture that over consumes. Now, this is a big one. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on this before we jump into our scripture for today. That while our phones are great, while our computers are great and all the technology that we have around us is great and it does some great things. Again, technology is not the issue. Our use of technology I think it's becoming an issue. And I think more and more of us are acknowledging that and facing up to the reality that our technology use is impacting us quite severely and quite... Uh, in quite powerful ways. That it's amazing that I can take my phone and, and go play Mario Run wherever I want and, and text anybody that I want to and connect with old friends and do all kinds of great things. But the bad side is that I can also know what's going on all around the world almost the moment that it happens. That we can consume too much information, too much news, too much breaking news and gossip and rumors and relationship issues that it creates anxiety in us, that we're not meant to have all that information in us. That I think in some ways we sort of are taking the place of God in a sense, that God can handle all that information. He knows what's going on. There's a fancy theological term for that. He's omniscient. He knows all. And yet we're not God. God knows all and he can deal with all that and he can process all that and he can handle all that but we're not. And we're sort of taking these technological devices that can give us that information, all of that information, almost all of it, in fact, and we're trying to process it. And we're reading through it, and it's just so overwhelming, many of us, that all of this consuming has sort of pushed us beyond what I think we can handle as humans, past our capacity. And while, again, we do not have God's ability to be aware of all the data and all the information of what's happening, there's kind of this idea that we've sort of pushed beyond that capacity of what we actually can handle, what God thinks we can handle. 
And, and previous technology sort of limited. It was a sort of a limiter uh, on what we could actually handle because there was only so much you could fit in a newspaper, right? <laughs> There's only so much you could fit in an email. But now with the fact that we have the internet and all kinds of things out there that we can just be inundated with information and data, we, we can't handle all that information. And there's a sense in which uh, I really do like to be in the know, but I really can't be in the know about everything. That as much as I like to be in the know about all the natural disasters and all the, the wars happening in other countries and the conflict and the ways that I would love to help other people who are suffering around the world, the reality is I can't carry all that burden because the same is true for me as the same is true for you. I'm not God and neither are you. And so when we try to take all this information and all this data in from our technology, it sort of has got to come out somewhere and it's coming out in our relationships and in our behavior, I think a lot of times as anxiety, that our habits with our screens and our technological devices are leading some of us, we're leading ourselves rather, into anxiety. That we live in an environment that is prone to create anxiety and depression but beyond that, let's just be honest with ourselves, we weren't necessarily healthy people before all this happened either, right? That we didn't necessarily take care of ourselves mentally and emotionally or physically before we had all this technology. And so it's, we can't just sort of, again, blame the technology. It's our use of the technology. It's our own habits and our own behaviors. And this sort of over-consuming over culture has produced in me many times sort of an anxious um, dependency, an anxious awareness, a, an anxious reaction that has become a part of me in a way that I really wish it wouldn't. It's become a bigger part of me and my soul in ways that I wish weren't actually true. And so we need to sort of learn how to live in this culture of over-consuming. And, and it's defined by anxiety and a lot of other things, but how can we actually live in a culture that over-consumes on things? What do we need to actually do? What boundaries do we need to set up? How, how can we sort of help protect ourselves from that? And the good news is that Jesus doesn't judge us he wants to help us. And so that's where we want to lead us today. And I hope that this will help you as well. So let's sort of put that statement to the test. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that on the surface, and if you just sort of read it from the beginning, it can sort of seem like Jesus is judging us. And Jesus is sort of condemning us and, and trying to you know, talk down at us. But I think what we'll see as we read this scripture is that Jesus actually cares for us. And he wants us to bring our concerns, our worries, our anxiety to God. To not just carry them by ourselves, but to bring them to God. And rather, God might be actually empathizing with you through Jesus. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to follow on the Bible app, we won't have the verses on the screen, but you can follow along the Bible app. Um, go to the more menu option in the bottom right corner of the screen of the YouVersion app. Um, you can find the notes there. Click the events button, and then you can find us on the map. Also, the notes are in the events or the notes tab uh, on Church Online as well. Uh, so again, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Jesus says this, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? And the tone of this passage is probably pretty important and it's probably pretty difficult for us to actually uh, be sure about. But it, this really could sound like Jesus is sort of frustrated about us being so worrisome or worrying about things so much. But I also wonder if it could also be that Jesus is being empathetic. And he's trying to sort of help us in our anxiety and worry because Jesus is trying to help us to be healthier and to have a healthier perspective about life, including how we view the world and how we view other things and how we view um, the society around us. Verse 26, look at the birds, Jesus says. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them 
And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? That Jesus is sort of going to use this, the spectrum of creation, the spectrum of nature and, and created things to sort of show us and remind us uh, of a few different important ideas. The first being that, that even with birds that have very little intelligence, let's just be honest, birds are not the smartest of all the animals, um, they aren't anxious about what they're going to eat even though they have very little intelligence. And, and that's sort of the example, um, but the reason is that, God, that they're not anxious about that because God takes care of them. Um, second, the second reason that I think Jesus uses this uh, illustration is that Jesus is trying to move people's hearts towards the compassion of the Father. Uh, because people are really more valuable than birds, right? People are way more valuable than birds. And Jesus is trying to point that out that, to remind the people that that's how God actually views them. Now, we might read this, or maybe you've been told, or maybe you've been sort of in that anxious state, uh, or you're, you sort of are worrying um, in this moment and saying, well, is this Jesus sort of trying to point out that I'm like stupider than the birds, or I'm not as intelligent as birds who don't have very much intelligence? And unfortunately, maybe people have maybe said that, that if you are worrying or if you're anxious, that that just means you're like not, you know, doing what you're supposed to do and you're less than birds, basically. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, because if Jesus was trying to say that, I think he would have just said that you're stupider than birds, but he doesn't say that. In fact, again, he actually points us to the fact that Jesus says, God values you more than the birds. So it's not about trying to say you're dumber or less intelligent than birds. He's trying to elevate the value of you, that he wants you to know and remember that you are valuable. And sometimes that's the source of our anxiety and our worry, that we really don't understand our place in the world and our value to God. And so Jesus says, let me start off and say, you are valuable to God. You're more valuable than the birds, and God takes care of the birds, so God is going to take care of you. So with that, I want to sort of take your mind and your intelligence back to God's heart for you. He says this in verse 27. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And the thing about worrying and anxiety for, for some of us, maybe many of us, is that in some sort of twisted way, by worrying and being anxious, it sort of gives us a sense of control over a situation that we don't have control over. And, and I sort of wonder if we could contextually sort of adjust Jesus' question to ask this, can all of your uh, consumption, rather, can all of your consumption of data and information add to your life, or does it take away from your life? And sort of, you know, taking a modern con uh, context of, our, of this situation, this question, I think many of us, if we ask that question, could actually all my consumption of data and information does it actually add to my life or does it take away from my life? Because there is a point of diminishing return, right? At some point, knowing all the information doesn't actually help you in this life. It actually kind of creates a burden on your life. And some of that, some of us experience that as anxiety. Because I think sometimes God says to me, I don't know what God says to you, but I think sometimes God says to me, Chris, I need you to be less preoccupied with all the eventual possible outcomes and all the possible plans of what could happen and, and how you're preparing for the future. I want you just to be sort of a little bit more preoccupied with me, with, with God. That I think God says, I, I want you to you know, be prepared, do all the things you need to do, but at some point, it's just too much. It's going to be creating too much of a burden. It's going to take your focus off of me, and onto the problem. And I want to move your focus from the problem onto me. And I, and I think uh, it continues on verse 28. And, and why worry about your clothing, Jesus says. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. 
And again, I think Jesus sort of takes another sort of step in this creature spectrum to go from birds now to flowers. Uh, and so Jesus really doesn't reference Solomon much at all in his teachings. But in this moment, he uses Solomon, who's in terms of achievement, Solomon is like the pinnacle of achievement in the Jewish world. Like he did so many great things. He was uh, the most wealthy pe person. He was uh, the most wise person at one point. He, he was globally influential, globally in terms of the ancient world. He was globally influential. He had a reach that was beyond Israel. And Solomon was one of these people that had so much achievement and had done so much. And for the Israelites, the Jewish people, they looked at him as somebody that, again, had done quite a bit. And so yet Jesus says that even at that level of possession that Solomon had, even at that level of, of wisdom that Solomon had, even at that level of, of wealth that Solomon had, even with all of that, he was still not as beautiful as the flowers that God plants who those flowers don't do anything. They can't achieve anything. They can't, they can't do anything in this world except sort of be a flower, right? That's really all they can do. And it's kind of amazing that 2,000 years later, this passage that Jesus is talking about, this, this teaching that Jesus has given to largely an agrarian society, an agricultural society, um, those people in some ways were still worried about some of the same things that we worry about and we have anxiety about as well. Except now we have technology and social media to constantly remind us about those things, right? Verse 30, and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Verse 31, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Those things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. That Jesus is saying that there should be some sort of a contrast, a difference between how we think, how we consume information, how we deal with the circumstances around us, and our emotions about all those things, that we need to live differently from the way that the rest of the world lives. That we need to have different thoughts. We, we need to change the way that we use technology and set boundaries for it. We need to consistently choose to bring our worries and our anxiety to God. And if you're carrying anxiety and depression uh, or any other mental health issue, I want you to know that God's not going to be mad at you if you talk to him about it. He wants you. He invites you to bring it to him. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Verse 34, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So with all that passage being talked about, what are some steps that we can take today, kind of looking at this passage as our frame of reference? Well, I think number one, and probably the most important one, is number one, tell your father. That Philippians 4, Paul would also speak to this. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, Pray about everything. Now, prayer is not sort of just praying some magical prayer to, to get God to take away your worry or your anxiety. Prayer is talking to God. It's, got, it's about bringing your problems to God and, and releasing them to him and letting him deal with them. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything, anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus that there's something that can happen in our hearts and our minds and in our souls by giving it to Jesus, by telling Jesus about it. And also he helps re sort of reframe our perspective. But if we don't invite him into the conversation, 
He's not going to overwhelm us with his voice that, to say, yeah, you need to stop doing that, or yeah, you need to start doing that, or yeah, you need to this. He's going to let us invite him into the process, and we need to invite him into the process. And so by telling him what we're feeling and experiencing, we're inviting him into our lives and inviting him into dealing with our anxiety. And wherever you are, we all sort of need, need to hear some of the same things, that God sits with us in our situations, whatever our situations might be. That he wants, to br- wants us to bring those things to him because he cares about us and he wants to help us. And so he wants us to bring those things to him. Don't bury your anxiety. Don't push away your depression. Don't sort of try to hide it and keep it from actually coming out. You can bring that to him no matter what. That we don't need to sort of crisis manage our pain, sort of wondering if God cares. We need God's peace, as Paul says, to rule in our hearts, in our bodies, in our minds, in our whole being, our souls. And so telling your father, while it might not actually fix the problem of anxiety or mental health issues, because you might need to do the next few steps, but telling your father in heaven is the best first step because he cares about you and he wants to help you. And he might be able to help you with these next steps that we're going to talk about. So invite number, number one is to tell your father. Number two is to invite some help to, to, to just do that, to help you. Uh, and now this could go various different ways depending on what your situation is and whether you're dealing with anxiety again or depression or other sort of issues, mental health issues. Um, some of you might need to just tell God and invite him in to help you, um, to tell him that you, you sort of need God to remind you and to ask God to remind you to not focus on all of your backup plans and your contingency plans and all the worries and things about knowing about all the information that you know and preparing for everything because you can't prepare for everything. That's why we need God in our lives. Um, some of us might need to, to find somebody else and we might need somebody else to help keep us accountable to some sort of screen boundaries. And how we use our screens is so incredibly important. The habits that we have, again, some of them can lead us to having more anxiety. But the reverse is also true, that some of our screen habits can lead us away from anxiety and help us to process all that is going on in this world. Um, Some of you, though, might need to invite a professional to help you, to get some help. And it's kind of interesting that if if I stood up here and told you that, you know, I was going to go get some help from a physical trainer or physical therapist to to help me to be more physically healthy, uh, many of you would be like, yeah, like, way to go. Like, that's great. You should go do that. That's awesome. Uh, There's not necessarily a bad stigma about that. But for some of us, if I came up here and said, yeah, I'm going to go get a counselor or I'm going to go get a therapist to help me become emotionally and mentally healthier, there might be some of us that initially, we might not say it verbally, but we initially be like, hold on, I hesitate for a second at that. Like, hold on a second. Are you sure we can do that? Like, is that okay? Because again, some of us grew up in environments where you couldn't have a counselor or a therapist and also say that you're following Jesus. The church would sort of say, yeah, you can't do both. You got to just trust Jesus and he'll take care of your anxiety. But that's not reality for many of us. That we can bring our anxiety to God while also having a counselor or a therapist to help us or other medical professional help us in other different ways. Um, if, if you need some help finding a counselor or a therapist, I've actually spent some time seeing a counselor or a therapist in different seasons of my life. Um, and there's some great resources locally that we have, but if you'd like some help finding a counselor or a therapist, we'd love for you to reach out. We'd love to help you. Just email us at hello at LNC. Org, and we'd love to reply to you and let you know some of the resources that we found helpful in the Silicon Valley, but we'd also be willing to help you if you live in another area 
of our country or world as well. Um, so maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe you don't need to invite a professional in to help you. Um, invite that person in to help you, to, you know, keep some accountability with your screen time or just invite God into the process. Maybe, maybe you, you, we all need that actually, but the other two maybe we don't need. But number three, we all need this as well. Recognize your drift. That this is one of those things that, that the godly counsel, having godly people in your life or having godly boundaries or, or sort of these habits or rhythms with God that, that can help us, they can sort of help us to deal with the weight of the things that we're carrying in this world and in our culture. The problem is that some of us have been too passive about sort of just adapting these technological advances without actually c- contemplating and, and observing what is the impact on our lives. And then we need to understand that there's a natural drift of using technology. There's a natural drift in where it can lead us down the road, or down the river, you might say, to continue the metaphor. That there's this natural drift of if we continue to use technology, there's one, one of the drifts is that we just continue to use more technology, right? There's those al- algorithms and psychology and brain wiring and chemistry that sort of leads us to want more, and those dopamine hits and all that stuff. That's one of the drifts of technology. But again, another drift of technology is towards isolation and loneliness. And I would also suggest that using more technology, another drift, is that we'll find ourselves being very anxious. And so some of us, we just need to observe and recognize the drift in our lives for maybe just even five years ago, 10 years ago, when, before we had a smartphone, before we had a laptop, before we had a social media account, whatever it was, do we notice something different in our lives? We probably notice a lot different, but specifically with anxiety and our depression and our mental health. Do we notice that maybe there's been a drift towards anxiety and depression when previously we didn't see that before? And we need to recognize the drift. Maybe it's just less anxiety than we had before, but we need to pay attention to those things. Because as we start dealing with our anxiety and our depression, any mental health issue, many of us need to observe the impact of our screen habits on our mental health. So as we wrap up today, I want to be very clear. This message is not about uh, don't worry and don't be anxious. That's not what this message is because, to be honest, that's not really helpful to just tell you don't be anxious, don't worry, you know, do, just don't do those things, right? That doesn't really help. That's not a helpful ma- manner to, to speak in a lot of times. And I don't think Jesus is saying that. The, the message that we're trying to convey today is that you need to bring your anxiety, your worry, your depression, any mental health issue to God to bring it to others, to bring it to people that can help you. And God is the first one. He wants to help you. And he wants to help encourage you to go find help from other people as well. And he wants to help you recognize how the world around you is impacting your mental health. And maybe how technology specifically is impacting you as well. Because unfortunately, we're living in a culture that's sort of this new age of anxiety in a sense, where it's just sort of become normal. It's become standard practice that you're going to live with some anxiety. And so you just need to deal with it. But there's a sense in which we can sort of pull back a little bit more and say, yeah, but we don't have to have that level of anxiety that everybody else is having. That doesn't seem to be a very healthy response or reaction to our technological advances. Because in this over-consuming culture, that can lead us down some very unhealthy paths. And God says, I want to lead you towards health. I don't want you to lead you towards unhealth. And so listen to God. Invite God into the process. Bring your anxiety, your concerns, your worry to God because he cares about you. And he he wants to empathize with you and understand what you're going through. And so caring for our souls means that we can bring our anxiety to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your sending Jesus to this world. That we can know that you care about us because we saw that Jesus said that you care about us. That Jesus demonstrated that he cared for people 
who were struggling. He cared for people on the fringes of society who, who didn't have anywhere to turn to. And maybe for some of us today, we don't feel like we have anywhere to turn to, and yet we know that we do have you. And so God, for the person right now who's really struggling with anxiety, and, and this message probably won't fix their problem necessarily, but would you help use these words, would you use your words to remind people of the direction that you want to point them towards? Towards health. Towards getting help at times. Towards adjusting our behavior to the way that you want us to live. Towards a healthy, healthier set of boundaries and, and behaviors. So God, would you help that person that is struggling with anxiety, looking for help? Would you help them to take a step? Maybe to start off by just telling you. Or maybe to start off by asking and inviting somebody else to help them. God, would you speak to them right now? Would you help them in this moment? Would you help them to know, most importantly, that you care about them? And God, for the rest of us that maybe we aren't dealing with anxiety, would you help us to be present in people's lives to help them to process what they're going through, to, to be ready to help them, to really be genuinely interested? Would you help those of us who aren't dealing with anxiety right now would you help us to create enough space and margin in our lives that when we ask how somebody's doing, we would actually care to hear their response and to listen to them and to be ready to help? God, would you help us to not be so busy or so worried or so anxious that we can't see opportunities to help others? But God, would you help first us to turn to you first for health? Would you help us in our souls as we deal with our anxiety? and any other mental health issue, God. We know that you care about these things. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.